welcome to the latest Ad Agility recording. Um, I'm Phil Cutcliffe, and today we have with us Antonio Cobo, who is a principal consultant. Is that your title these days? Although I must admit, I, I know you as a scrum master, coach, and delivery leader, a bit of everything. Yeah, so my official role is a principal consultant for Continuo. But at the end, when you are a principal consultant, depending on the client, you, you are going to need a little bit of transformation uh, consultant, agile coach, scrum master, a little bit of everything. Um, and today we're going to be talking about uh, data-based um, agile transformation. So how, how you can use data and information to um, make yourself more agile and make things better for your teams. Yeah, sometimes a lot of people, they, they try to do or to align a strategy of feeling with the data that is backing up that. And yeah. sometimes the data can uncover a lot of things that they are not realizing. So we are in the era of data, so better to use the data to improve. Yes, yes. Um, and we've worked together in the past as well. And I think we're very much on the, the same page that while it's great to, to do a lot of things that can't be measured, there is an awful lot in what we do in trying to improve the ways team work that can be measured. Um, and you can see if you're on the right track and you can actually see the difference you're making. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, I, I remember when we were working uh, together, uh, the case of one of uh, the teams that now on uh, the business or the stakeholders they didn't really know exactly what they were doing. It was a, a feeling that, oh, they should be working on this major release because it's a top priority. But no one was actually checking every day. So they didn't have a, even the proper uh, backlog hierarchy or the structure to actually check the data and realize whether they were on time or not. And yeah. it was probably the first thing that I, I had to do with them. I, I'm glad you brought up this one because I, I actually use this as a as an example of how we use the data to, to really improve the performance of a team. Um, and actually it, it was it was your team. So I want to make sure that when I'm I'm telling the story, um, I'm getting it right. So what, what happened? So when when I arrived with uh, I, that team, it was a little bit of a very last minute uh, request. I was pulled from a different team that I was coaching and helping them to get to, to know Scrum and Agile. And it was a, a team with a major release in one month and a half or one of the big countries of that client. With it was, a lot it was, of, yeah, it was in US. It was, it was in the US, release. was it? They were really building yeah. was that big US release. Yeah, it was a, a big US release. Uh, the team was uh, having the two business analysts leaving the team within one week of my arrival. And uh, it was a distributed team before pandemic. Now it's normal to be distributed and you have uh, all the tools and people are used, but at that time it wasn't really easy. So we have the product owner in New Jersey, which is fine because you're going to be doing a US major release. It's good to have the product owner local and knowing exactly about the market. The problem it was the rest of the team. We have several people in UK and some developers uh, and the Scrum Master in Slovakia. And you see the time zones and the difference wasn't really, really great. So the communication wasn't really as good as it could be. And there was 
a lot of misunderstanding between product owner, developers, and so on, and the rest of the business. So the first thing that I have to do, check exactly the backlog. Okay, let, let's have a look at the backlog and not only what is left, but also I had a look to, okay, the previous couple of months, let's see all your user stories. So they didn't have a proper hierarchy with the futures uh, on epics needed. So I had to manually move user stories to the futures, uh, check the sizing of the user stories that were completed. So I discussed with the Scrum Master, with the, the developers, okay, this one, it was similar to this one to just try to put the five or eight user story points. And I managed to calculate all of that. With that data, manually calculated all the user stories completed on the previous month and a half or two months, which future they, they belong. And ideally, they should be working 80% more or less on that US release, right? Yeah, yeah, the, the most important thing to the business at the time for the last yeah. two months. The reality is only 20% of the user story comp uh, points completed were actual in the US release. There were still some percentage of effort dedicated to other releases that they were already completed three or four months ago, but they were still doing small things. And a massive amount, more than 50% or 60%, I don't remember now the numbers, there was actually uh, support tickets, uh, set up in new users, uh, fixing any, any bugs, but nothing else. So as you can imagine, it was a surprise for a lot of people. They didn't realize it was that. And it helped a little bit to realize that they were in charge of the support. And they did already three or four releases before on different countries, such as Indonesia and a big part of Europe. So they have already a lot of users. When you have users, support is coming. Especially yes. when you are, it, it's a major uh, application for all the sales uh, uh, folks that you have around the world. So the people that are working in sales, they need to use your system, check the opportunities that you have and uh, evaluate what are the, the different rates and the different money that you're earning. If they are not able to do that, you're losing money. So of course, they were fixing bugs in support or getting access to new uh, clients and the new yes. sales uh, people. So, so you had your consultant developers um, adding users and, and, and doing first-line support. Yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, in principle, it's, it's a good thing when you have the developers that they, they build it, they run it, and they support it. So it allows the developers to get a little bit more of ownership, to think, uh, how the process should be good. The problem is over time, you need to consider that the effective amount of time that you're going to be dedicated to new futures is going to be reduced over time because you will have more and more uh, customers, the sales uh, folks to actually care of. So uh, we also discovered that there were another reason they were unable to actually work on those futures. It's they weren't ready. The fact that the two BAs were living at that time, the product owner in US and the rest of the team in Europe, uh, it, they didn't manage properly the, the requirements or what it was important. Sometimes the developers, they, 
even the architect that we have, they weren't involved on refining the, the tickets or asking the proper questions beforehand to actually being able to work. And we discovered that just displaying the data. Yeah, yeah. So, so as a result, you know, after being able to display all this data, what what happened? What what changes were you able to make? Because you could yeah, so, clearly show the problem. Uh, the, the main changes at the beginning was to to uh, a quick review of the backlog, uh, a good prioritization of the backlog, the top filters on the top, uh, ensuring that uh, the refinements they were doing properly, that uh, the developers, or at least one senior developer and the architect, they were involved beforehand. The, 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 the person who was doing a BA role at that time was really good because they uh, knew a lot of people in the business, so was able to actually ask the proper questions with the developers or not. And they were able to, just the following months, to complete between 65-70% of their time it was dedicated on that US release. Of course, with all those problems to, to hit the deadline on one month, it was impossible. However, it was easier with those data to try to prioritize and to do a release on different steps. So the first is the, uh, the things that we must have on the first version so the users can get used to this new system in US, and a second and third version in, on the following sprints with a specific futures for that US market. And I think after one month and a half or two months, we had the, the release in production in US and everyone was happy. If you would ask uh, two months before that whether they would release that year in, in US, everyone was saying no, all the business stakeholders, they didn't believe it was possible. And they managed to do it. It's only just with a proper uh, prioritization and understanding all the issues with the support. Yes. Following that data, we, we even put those kind of data uh, available for other teams and on that client, and they were able to spot trends or things to improve. That uh, the same thing one year after, they keep uh, showing the amount of work uh, that they were using on support tickets or uh, first level bugs that uh, a, a different team could be able to, to work. And they actually, that was one of the decisions of the business to outsource that, uh, that first level support to a different team that was able to grant access, to verify the permissions of every user and, and so on, and to, to be like a trainers for the new user. And this thing, it was only when it was something really a, an important back in production or focusing on new futures. So that was a massive improvement, but in order for them to do the business case, to get a new team only dedicated for support without that data, it, it couldn't have been possible. I, I remember it and that, yeah, I completely agree. There was, I don't think there would have been any chance of getting uh, a new team for support without being able to show how much effort the developers were spending doing support. And, and a lot yeah. of the changes you achieved without the, without the information backing you up would have been hard. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's, it's a matter of if you are able to collect data, then you can explain the story behind that data and you can understand. 
if you see the data without understanding the story, you would say, oh, this team is not doing the futures for the US. It's a bad team. You can't think that without knowing the, the story. And probably that was what one of the person from the business uh, was convinced that the team, they weren't really, really good, that they were releasing or delivering even less than uh, one year before. But with yeah. the data, knowing the story, you can understand why. And that's the reason you can react and pivot the strategy, expand a new team only for uh, the support and, and, and things like that. Yeah. And the, the team was doing the right thing, weren't they? They were making sure their existing users could use it. And Yeah, absolutely. You know. uh, they, they were trying to, to work on, uh, on the user stories that they were on top of the backlog or prioritize for the sprint. They say, well, I don't have the information, so I cannot uh, continue working on this ticket. So while I'm waiting for that information, I'm going to check the bugs and the support. And that's the reason they were completing a lot of back and support tickets. We improve the quality of, uh, of the user stories. So it was better for them. They understood better. They have less doubt. They could focus on that. But they were still all the process of support. Yes. Well, we've got, we've got a few examples. Um, so I've got, I've got a story as well that I, I thought I'd share here. Now, it's, it's the one where we looked at a program. So this wasn't just a team. This was looking at uh, an entire program. I think there's about 80 to 100 people working on it. it was, so it was, it was big. Um, and at this time, we had a, a fairly standard metrics suite. We plugged into a bunch of different teams. And we plugged into uh, this team. So we, we, we turned on the metrics. And straight away, what pops up is that 80% um, of the items that have been completed for this particular team are bugs and fixes. So it, it looked like, and this team didn't estimate at all, uh, so um, it looked like 80% of the work was fixing problems. Hmm. Um, and when this was turned on, um, a few people high up in the management chain were, uh, were very concerned. Like, hmm. Hang on a minute, why, why are we spending 80% of the money on, on fixing faults, it sh shouldn't, shouldn't be this way. Um, and it got escalated and got escalated. I think even God got involved at one point, it went, it went that high up in the organization. Um, and then people went away and had a look and had a look and said, no, 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 it feels, feels, feels metrics are, are, are nonsense. That's not, that's not true, that's not how we work. Um, what this is, is every time the developers pass their work over to the test team, the test team feed back the, to the development team what's not working by raising a bug in the system. So these are stories, you know, pieces of work that are, are really still in development. And these are just how the two teams um, talk to each other but but don't worry just just to make sure that we get the, the right result for Phil's metrics um what what we're going to do is we're going to make the, the testers and developers work closer together um so so now whenever the the testers find a fault they're not going to raise a ticket they're just they're just going to talk to the guy who did it who who wrote the code um and, and fix it straight away so so that way the the bugs you see in the system um, will only be live bugs, you know, bugs we found in the, the live version. Okay. 
<laughs> yeah, it's, uh, sometimes with, with the metrics, when, when you saw uh, uh, the metrics of what, what the data is, is displaying, you may have uh, people using it in a different way. So I, I remember on the same client, we put them a dashboard with different data about how the teams they were performing, if they have tickets in progress without acceptance criteria, the cycle time and so on, which is really good if it's just for the teams to ensure that they improve over time. The problem is when someone is going to use those metrics that are intended to help the teams to improve, use it as a performance indicator to, to understand whether it's possible uh, to, to link salary raise or, or bonus linked to that. And I got with one team that I wasn't involved for some months. I checked back to, uh, to the metrics because the product owner called me and said, well, Antonio, can you have a look? Because yeah, the metrics are looking better than ever, but I'm not completely sure that we are uh, releasing or, or, or completing in the right way. And the fact is they were using those metrics as a performance indicator. So they were so focused on reducing cycle time that they were moving the tickets to the right of the board too early. So the quality was decreasing because it was less time for testing, less time to actually thinking about the edge cases that you need to, to prove. It was less test on the TDD because they were just doing only the happy path and one of the unhappy path and so on. So yes. sometimes you need to be careful when you put metrics and data, how you are going to use it. So the numbers are good. The story behind is important, but use it as a, a drive for improvement and don't link those metrics for performance reviews because uh, if you use the metrics and the illogical behavior, uh, people will behave in an illogical way at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Is it is it the Hawthorne effect? Um, I hope I'm getting that right. Where just the act of measuring something changes the behavior. Yeah, and it, it, it's sometimes when, when you measure things and you get rewards uh, for something, you have the, the snake effect as well. So uh, it's like, oh, let's do one day of uh, uh, finding bugs and fixing bugs. And for every bug uh, uh, that we fix or we raise, uh, it's something for a performance indicator, things like that. So you get people waiting for that event the following week to raise bags and not when they suit and things like that. <laughs> yeah, well, in my 80% bugs example, I think the test team, you know, were able to, to justify their existence and, and how good they were by the number of bugs raised. Um, mm. So even, even though the, the metric turned out to be, you know, not, not really representative of how much effort was being spent on bugs, um, just, just having it there actually prompted some really interesting conversations about behavior. And you could, you could see afterwards that something had changed, even though you couldn't say, aha, look, our quality's improved by 50%. You could, you could see that a new process was in place and things had got better. Yeah, that, that's interesting to say that because sometimes it's when, when some people are measuring uh, bugs or quality of their teams, they focus on the, the bigger the number of bugs you find, the better is your uh, uh, quality process. 
And actually, yeah. from a point of view, it's just the opposite. The least amount of bugs that you find in production or your users find in production means that your quality process is better. Yes. Yes. Um, you had another story that you mentioned you want to talk about, and I, I wasn't sure, sure about this. Something about recording hours, how that, yeah, so how that helped? Um, we, with a team in the past, uh, um, I joined that team as a Scrum Master, and it was a team that it was uh, actually not de uh, developing any new product. They were inheriting products from other parts of that business to be the support team and also the team in charge of new futures for uh, uh, those products. So at the end, they had four different products with four different tech stacks, a lot of different environments uh, to, to cover in development, uh, testing environment, and then production. The issue is the way that uh, that entity was operating, uh, they were creating a new team, they create a, a new project till they reach an MVP stage. They're releasing production the MVP, even though they shouldn't probably. And when it's releasing production, that team is disbanded. And the team that I was the, the Scrum Master is inheriting the tech stack, the product, and everything. Right. So they have to help uh, supporting those uh, products. The issue was those products that were part of that entity that a lot of different business units they were um, using that products as part of a big big bigger product on each part of the business so it's like a, your product is doing a specific amount like a id verification so if you have a process that in one moment you need to verify the id you are using that product so it's time that uh, the other part of the business they needed to test they say oh uh, we need the environment uh, to test that. Uh, it's not working in the development environment. No, it's not working the the UAT environment. But we have an issue doing that, and it's not working. So they were overwhelmed with a lot of queries for uh, fixing environments from others or checking uh, bugs on those environments that actually they weren't from their side. It was the other teams they weren't integrating uh, the team uh, that product or. Um, applications properly. So they were frustrated. They weren't able to complete anything or a lot of things from uh, their uh, sprints. And uh, a lot of people in the business, they weren't happy with them because, oh, we want this new future on this product and you're not doing it. And so it's really, really weird. So the, the only way that we managed to do that is actually for some time without me sharing specifically uh, this developer, this time, and things like that, they were logging the hours spent on anything not related to the sprint. So if they needed to do, I don't know, any monthly meeting within the company, and it was one hour, they were log logging that hour. If one of them spent the whole day fixing environments for others, that person was logging eight hours on this uh, subtask that it was environment issues. After three or four sprints, I had a lot of data about the amount of hours spent on things out of the sprint. So on average, it was around 60% of the whole uh, development team spent doing things out of the sprint. In some sprints, it was even 80 or 85%. Knowing that more or less, you have between five and 10% on 
the usual uh, meetings for the sprint, like refinement, planning, retro. So it, it doesn't allow you a lot of time to create a new future or to fix actual bugs that are happening in, in your products and environment. So I have the total cost of the team for every sprint. So, and I calculated, okay, on the last uh, four sprints, that was two months, you, uh, the environment issues cost you that amount of money. That money was bigger than the salary of having one incident manager the whole year in charge of that. And that was, they did. They realized we are losing a lot of money on that. They cannot actually fulfill that. So they hired an incident manager, uh, not for production, but for all the other environments from there till uh, UAT to be in charge of that. And that person was solving all the issues and the team actually was able to develop new futures dedicated on the bugs, thinking how to improve some of the technical depth. Without logging those hours, it wouldn't have been possible. I never asked them to log the hours of any other um, item or user story because I didn't want people to try to start correlating, okay, these three story points is actually these hours and start thinking again on, on time because it wasn't that. It was complicated to get the developers to log the time because they were afraid that it could be used by management to actually, oh, but uh, that should be uh, 16 hours like uh, the previous before. Yes. And I tell them that is actually for protect you. I'm not going to share with anyone individual hours. Once I have several data for some sprints, I will share the total in terms of percentage and cost with management. And you will see it will happen a good thing because they will realize all the money waste. And it's one of the key things that you need to do is to reduce waste. Right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is the only story I've ever heard where logging hours turned out to be a, a, a happy thing <laughs> that made improvement. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it, where often it's misused. You know, people are trying to work out utilization, who puts in yeah. the most hours. Um, yeah, absolutely. It's, and all sorts of horrible I, things. I've seen a lot of really bad things, like trying to, to get the data of each story points by developer on every sprint to try to figure it out which developer is the best, which doesn't make any sense. And the hours is really something that I never advise to love the hours because <clears throat> sometimes it's complicated and sometimes you might have a lot of different people talking to you at the same time. So those four hours probably you weren't actually focused on that user story, the four hours. However, you know, if you are on a uh, fixing environments for others, if you've been three hours and a half that day. And that was the really key thing. So we have on every sprint one user story that actually was called cheese at that time with different subtasks of type of uh, time lost for any reason. And it was the, um, it worked really well. And actually I, I knew that other teams in the business, they were doing that as well, logging the time not spent on the sprint. Yeah. Yeah. I've just realized, and if anyone's listening rather than watching to this, they won't won't be aware, but does your t-shirt say forever grumpy? Yeah, it's a it's a t-shirt of one of the dwarves from Snow White. And, uh, <laughs> Very good. Uh, so, 
I'm not grumpy all the time, but it, it, it's a funny episode. Sometimes I like to have a different episode on, on the client that we're working together. Uh, <laughs> I remember when I was leaving that one of the things that they said to my <laughs> replacement is, now you need to buy a lot of uh, good episodes because we're going to miss uh, Antonio's episode. <laughs> So I, I have different funny episodes. So <laughs> that's, that's very good. Yeah, you you do often have a good t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so I'm going to start to to do the wrap up. Um, mm-hmm. so I think I think we're in the same place that you know, not everything that matters can be measured, but a lot of things that matter can be measured, and you know that that journey of continually improving a team. Um, is so much easier when you've actually looked at where you are um, as a base point and seen the improvement over time um, and can prove to your senior stakeholders um, that what you're doing is making a difference and and where you want to go next. Um, And I also think as well, and this was your your first um, story, that you're more likely for these things to stick if actually you can continue to monitor and, and spot when things aren't going well. Yeah, so. absolutely. I, I, I think one of the key things is it's always good to have data, but depending on your audience, you need to show the data that they're interested in. So uh, for example, on the first story it was the percentage that it wasn't dedicated on US. And then after that, it was the percentage of time dedicated on support. So they could actually present a business case to get a, a different team. For probably the developers, uh, it, it was useful, uh, the one about the support, but whether the user sto- the story points were for future A, B, or C, for the de- developer perspective, is not important. But for the product owner and the people working with the product owner, it was. So, the, the story behind the data, it needs to be uh, adjusted in order to share the story that uh, uh, the people are interested. Yes. Okay, well, thank you very much, Antonio, for, for coming on these. I hope to work with you again in the future. Yeah, hopefully, yes. So now I'm starting, uh, I started to go to London once or twice a week. So I know that uh, from Santo is a little bit uh, uh, long for you, but I, I hope you will go soon to London as well and we'll see each other. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I, I think, think I owe you lunch. Um, <laughs> okay, well, this, is, this has been um, the latest episode of Ad Agility. Um, please like, comment, subscribe. See you at the next one. Uh, thank you. Thank you.